Kidok, um, you are the founding uh, director of Amani Africa. You've done a lot of research on conflict in, in Africa. Perhaps what is Amani's recommendations to bring an end to this constant cycle of war in Africa? I think uh, it requires mm -hmm. uh, the exertion of mm -hmm. the maximum possible effort yeah. on the part of wide range of stakeholders. I think that mm. is a very critical aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I think it's extremely important at the national level because mm. that is where uh, how uh, public affairs are managed at the national level yeah. is the key mm -hmm. uh, or as to whether and or not yeah. uh, a country actually uh, faces and experiences mm. violence and conflict. Yeah. So the need mm -hmm. for having national governance systems mm -hmm. that are effective, yeah. uh, that are able to deliver on social services, mm -hmm. that are responsive to the needs and demands of the wider public, that mm -hmm. serve the public equally. I'm Steve Otieno. This is For Nation Reports podcast series and uh, welcome so much to this show. Today we'll be having with us Dr. Solomon Derso, uh, the founding director of Amani Africa based in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. He's an expert in matters governance in Africa, representing so many, many Africans of the AU and he, this is his passion. So today we are with him here in Nairobi, Kenya and I just want to welcome you to this show. So thank you so much. Dr. Good to Harry. be here, Steve. It's good to see you after almost a year. Exactly. Since we last met uh, yes, uh, in yes, January yes. in Addis, Ethiopia. And uh, last time I welcomed you to my space. Yes, this today. time around <laughs> you are avenging eh? yeah, by yeah. welcoming me to your space. Yeah, sure. And, Thanks. And thank you so much for, for giving us this honor. So Doc, you, you are coming to Nairobi at a very crucial time for East Africa. Uh, we are having Somalia planning to join ESC, the East African community. Basically, everything is set. It's just joining. What are your two cents on this, considering it's a country that has been having so many challenges with stability? I think it's uh, a very important step uh, in the journey of the East African community in consolidating and expanding uh, the membership of the region. Uh, yes, uh, Somalia uh, has been struggling uh, with uh, conflict uh, mm -hmm. for a few decades now, um, but with the support of the African Union, uh, with the deployment of the African Union uh, mission in Somalia, uh, and with uh, the political process supported by neighboring countries as well as IGAD and the UN, um, Came, Somalia is in a much better place today than, for example, um, a decade ago. Mm. Um, and this progress that Somalia has achieved obviously is fragile. Uh, we still have uh, Al-Shabaab uh, and the fight against Al-Shabaab. Mm. Uh, political uh, consolidation uh, is still fragile. So there is still a long way to go in terms of overcoming this challenge for Somalia. Uh, but the integration of Somalia into the East African community can also help in bringing a much needed uh, mobilization of support and political 
uh, engagement from the wider East African community uh, to help overcome uh, the crisis in Somalia and ultimately, of course, bring in uh, the market uh, that also Somalia has uh, into the East African community. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. And they're struggling with stability. That's why AU deployed so many soldiers there. There have been plans to have a drawdown from as early as last year to date, not yet affected. Do you think Somalia is ready for a drawdown? Look, uh, all indications are that uh, the uh, process for winding down the African Union troops uh, from Somalia and handing over uh, security responsibility to Somali security forces uh, is not yet uh, fully in place, right? Um, the uh, drawdown has been organized in different phases. Uh, phase one drawdown was extended for six months. Phase two drawdown uh, also uh, as a result of the setback that the Somali government faced mm-hmm. in the fight against Al-Shabaab mm-hmm. uh, has been extended basically what, what they call a three-months uh, pause, technical pause. So you have uh, a total of nine months mm-hmm. uh, slowing down mm-hmm. of the drawdown process. At the same time, I mean, that is indicative of the uh, fact that we don't have we haven't made enough progress mm-hmm. in terms of two things. Uh, the Somali security forces are fighting Al-Shabaab mm-hmm. in order to liberate areas that are still under strong uh, the stronghold of Al-Shabaab, right? At the same time, they have also to take over responsibilities from MS, uh, Atmis troops. So they are basically stretched in that sense. Uh, this responsibility, assuming full responsibility for security, while at the same time fighting, basically have stretched them. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that needs to happen is basically to find a way of extending the presence mm-hmm. of Atmis forces uh, until such time that the capacity of Somali security forces is consolidated and they are able to mobilize enough soldiers, uh, both at the national and uh, the federal state levels uh, that would then uh, be able to be the ones taking over responsibility for Somali uh, Somalia's security. So there is some time that is required in order to facilitate these uh, critical steps that would make it possible for Somali security forces to take over and for Atmis forces then to vacate and mm-hmm. uh, withdraw. Okay. And um, perhaps... Is there a danger in always having these drawdowns postponed? What would it look like in the long term if a year goes to two or three? Will Somalia ever be stable on its own? Look, uh, there are a few things that that obviously need to happen. Um, one of them have to do with the consolidation of the security infrastructure mm-hmm. of Somalia. Because ultimately, uh, for Somalia as well as the region, uh, the most important aspect is the fact that Somalia is able to assume full responsibility for security. It is then that both Somalia and the region can be able to work together uh, in narrowing down the space and ultimately squeezing out Mm Al-Shabaab 
uh, from Somalia and the region. That is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Second, and not any less important, uh, perhaps more important, is having uh, a clear um, strategy mm-hmm. uh, that would consist of uh, enhancing legitimate local governance structures that would provide the requisite security, justice, uh, and other public services for communities who have been affected and have been under you know, the stronghold of Al-Shabaab without such kind of you know, creating and rolling out local government structures that are legitimate and able to deliver those services, uh, there would still be a vacuum that uh, you know, groups like Al-Shabaab can easily take advantage of. That's why you need to have a very solid stabilization strategy that is focused on uh, stabilizing regions uh, through rolling out legitimate local government structures uh, as well as through reconciliation processes. Wow, thank you for that. Um, Even before we seek to understand ending terrorism in Africa, perhaps what are the key drivers of conflict? You know, in in Southern Africa, relatively peaceful until 2017 Cabo Delgado. When you come to Kenya, it's been perennial since 2010. East Africa, in West, the Sahel is now even getting worse. So what are the key drivers, in your opinion, for conflict, especially armed conflict and terrorism in Africa? So there are uh, an intersection of uh, factors Mm -hmm. uh, that actually contribute to the uh, eruption and expansion of uh, conflicts. Um, Mm -hmm. Even those that we call you know, terrorism-related uh, insecurities, they are part and parcel of a conflict system, actually. And these factors uh, include, obviously, first and foremost, uh, bad governance uh, that uh, creates the conditions for breakdown of state-society relationship and the rupture of the social contract, yeah. where the state uh, is not governed well, where the state is actually failing and unable to meet the uh, its obligations towards its citizens, mm-hmm. um, when you have uh, pervasive socio-economic and security uh, deprivation, mm-hmm. uh, that creates the social and political uh, ills mm-hmm. that actually facilitate. Uh, the emergence of uh, insecurities, the emergence of groups, including terrorist groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a range of factors. I mean, obviously, in the African setting, you have you know n- the failure of national governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, politics of inequality and corruption. Uh, you also have the burden of history that also plays itself out. Uh, issues relating to the capacity to deliver on. Uh, obligations by the state. I mean, this is actually not just an internal problem, but also it is a problem of history and Mm -hmm. current international economic relations of African states and and, and the international economic system. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, quite a a range of factors. Mm -hmm. And complicating this uh, already existing fragilities and and, and conditions Mm -hmm. uh, are issues such as, for example, uh, climate change, exactly. right? Yeah. Uh, so it has become increasingly uh, an accelerator yeah. uh, of uh, insecurities uh, and also uh, one that actually 
makes the resolution of conflict much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is really uh, quite uh, a, whole, a mix a of whole factors. Range of factors. Exactly. And, and it's good you've mentioned climate change. You know, a few years back, no one would have thought that there's actually a nexus between climate change and, and driving conflict. But as we are seeing in the countries, especially those with weaker structures in governance and even development, whenever there is a crisis that's coming from nature, they tend to be on the worst end of the stick. So just let's go deeper into climate change. How, how is climate change a big driver of armed conflict and insecurity in Africa? I think it's uh, important to start by saying that the relationship between climate and conflict or uh, or, or security, the mm-hmm. climate security nexus, mm-hmm. is not one of causational. Yeah. All right? It is one of correlational. I think yeah. it's important to emphasize that. Mm-hmm. We are not suggesting that climate change Causes. leads to or causes, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, conflict. Yeah. Right? But rather interlinked. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. So... Um, climate change induced weather conditions yes. of various kinds mm-hmm. uh, lead to the depletion of natural resources. Yes. Resources on which uh, many communities That's depend guess. for their livelihoods. Yeah. With the scarcity of resources, mm. one of the consequences would be the scramble of this. communities mm. uh, over those scarce resources. Uh, if that scramble, if that competition mm. over uh, ever increasingly depleting resources mm-hmm. is not managed in a way that avoids or that is able to prevent uh, that competition from erupting into violent conflict, mm-hmm. then you'd end up having those conflicts because of this competition over oh, resources. resources. So here you have a situation where... Um, in the face of the depletion of these resources on which uh, various communities depend for their livelihoods and their basically survival, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of governance structure do you need to put in, uh, in place in order to ensure that mm-hmm. this competition yeah. doesn't lead to uh, and trigger uh, violence and uh, conflict? Yeah. So that is one dimension of uh, exactly the uh, the relationship Mm -hmm. the other one has to do with how uh, climate change uh, aggravates existing uh, fragilities Mm. all right so if you have um, you know conditions of inequality uh, between different communities and conditions of uh, tension all right. Mm. When climate change is added to those conditions, it can easily create the conditions for mm-hmm. triggering, yeah. uh, basically for pushing those conditions into uh, creating violence and conflict. Yeah. Uh, so it is how it accelerates and exacerbates existing conditions of tension uh, mm-hmm. that I think we have also to. Uh, take account take of. Counter. It also affects um, conflict in another way. For yeah. example, uh, with respect to how uh, you go about uh, resolving conflicts. Okay. So climate change induced weather conditions, extreme mm-hmm. weather conditions, can interfere with processes mm-hmm. for resolving and settling 
conflicts. Yeah. Um, so basically, you wouldn't be able to, uh, for example, with respect to the implementation of peace agreements. Yes. One of the factors that you know contributed contributed to the delay in the effective implementation of the peace agreement in South Sudan mm-hmm. is the various uh, weather events involving flooding that yes. led to displacement of people and therefore making it difficult to uh, engage meaningfully and fully, mm-hmm. um, focusing fully on the implementation of the peace agreement. So you have also that mm-hmm. dimension uh, of, 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 of the process, right? Yeah. We have uh, produced... Um, uh, uh, you know, a dispatch, yeah. uh, a video cast that tried to also explain, uh, explain mm. the other way of the relationship. It's yes. not just one directional the relationship mm. yeah. that climate affects conflict. That's yeah. not the only dimension. Mm. Conflict also uh, contributes or exacerbates yeah. the negative consequences of extreme climate. weather events yes. induced by climate change. Yes. So we have seen this playing itself out recently Mm -hmm. in the devastating uh, flooding that uh, took place in Derna, Libya. Libya, exactly. That you clearly see that the fact that Libya is fragile and conflict-affected country meant that uh, resources and attention was not invested in development uh, of infrastructure. Actually, you know, investing in um uh refurbishing and yes. also uh you know consolidating existing infrastructures yeah all right so the fact that two dams were not uh maintained as they, maintained should, have. As they should have been yeah. uh basically what it did was it turned that extreme weather condition mm. into the catastrophe that it has become yeah uh, so two things that you see there mm. first the lack of investment in the maintenance of the two dams. Yeah. Second, the lack of preparedness to even alert uh, people the on the line of fire, so to speak, yeah. as the floods was, you know, were coming. Washing over. Exactly. Mm. So fragility and bad governance as well as conflict, basically what they lead to is uh, lack of investment in the maintenance of critical infrastructure yeah. um, and not being able also to uh, have the necessary early warning mm. in order to uh, enable Counter. communities yes. to actually protect themselves and also get um, you know away from areas that you know that could have minimized the mm. scale yeah. of the destruction uh, the and flats. the loss of lives mm. that happened uh, in Derna, but the absence of that actually mm you know turn that really tragic uh you know flooding event into the catastrophe that that mm-hmm. derna has turned into yeah it's true even in kenya we, we felt the brunt of climate change when people had to cross over from the somalian border to our northern parts and basically the first quarter of this year was full of killings in the northern parts of the of, of the of the country and um, we see this climate change we see these uh poor governance structures we see there is a m- movement of illicit goods, smuggling of guns. And perhaps it, it begs the question, what is AU doing to, to coordinate all its efforts of bringing peace to the continent? So um, various uh, structures, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, 
play a very crucial role in addressing these you know various dynamics of insecurity and conflict uh, the african union as the continental uh, policy making body and mm. platform for taking decisions but also you know uh, investing in uh, the prevention uh, management and resolution of conflict uh, mm. plays uh, contributes to uh, promoting security through various engagements one of the forms of that engagement have to do is for example uh, mediation yeah. uh, and through mediation interventions uh, the African Union can contribute to that. Yeah. Another one, which we mentioned earlier on with respect to Somalia, is the deployment of troops, peacekeeping operations mm-hmm. uh, that enable national authorities to regain um, control over mm-hmm. uh, their territories, yeah. uh, but also to create the space for national authorities and national stakeholders to engage in peacemaking and also national dialogue and reconciliation processes mm. for uh, fully restoring uh, stability uh, yeah. in, 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 in the country concerned. Um, these are the kinds of things that the African Union mm. can bring to uh, the table, basically mobilizing, if you like, the uh, diplomatic, uh, political, and peace and security instruments mm-hmm. and resources um, from its membership, as well as from its uh, engagement and partnership with international actors such as the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of things that the African Union uh, brings to the table. And, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Doc. Um, you are the founding uh, director of Amani Africa. You've done a lot of research on conflict in, in Africa. Perhaps what is Amani's recommendations to bring an end to this constant cycle of war in Africa? Uh, there is no, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, One <laughs> silver, <of solution>. <laughs> silver bu- bullet <laughs> yeah. for, for, for this. Ending conflict in Africa. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but I think uh, it requires mm-hmm. uh, the exertion of mm-hmm. the maximum possible effort yeah. on the part of wide range of stakeholders. I think that mm-hmm. is a very critical aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I think it's extremely important at the national level because mm-hmm. that is where... Uh, how uh, public affairs are managed at the national level yeah. is the key mm-hmm. uh, as to whether and or not yeah. uh, a country actually uh, faces and experiences mm-hmm. violence and conflict. Yeah. So the need mm-hmm. for having national governance systems mm-hmm. that are effective, yeah. uh, that are able to deliver on social services mm-hmm. that are responsive to the needs and demands of the wider public that mm-hmm. serve the public equally, mm. all right, uh, without discrimination, uh, that are clean. The existence of these uh, are a prerequisite for uh, preventing the eruption of conflict, for preventing insecurity in any country Mm -hmm. Uh, and for this understandably national stakeholders uh, you know play or hold the lion's share of responsibility Mm -hmm. we are talking about those who have been interested with uh, the role of being in government first and foremost Mm -hmm. okay much of the responsibility lies with them Mm -hmm. because in holding the instruments of government and Mm -hmm. power uh, they uh, have 
the most responsibility mm -hmm. in order to work with other sectors of society to create those conditions that make it possible for the state to fulfill its obligations towards its citizens mm -hmm. and also understandably of course to ensure that um, uh, any points of grievances are effectively dealt with through uh, political processes or through um, independent judicial processes. Yeah. We need to have effective dispute settlement mechanisms that consist of political dimensions for the political dimension of things, mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, legal uh, dimension of things or extra legal you know, dispute settlement mechanism. I think we need to have really mm -hmm. very robust, credible and trustworthy dispute mm -hmm. settlement processes and mechanisms. Mm -hmm. The role of various actors in facilitating this is very crucial. Yeah. And ultimately, of course, I think enhancing the effectiveness of the state in delivering social services, mm -hmm. I think more than anything else, is very critical very in deepening and consolidating mm -hmm. that bond of relationship between state and society yeah. uh, in reaffirming uh, and creating legitimate uh, social contract between uh, state and society. Those are extremely critical. Yeah. At the continental level, of course, mm -hmm. I think institutions like the African Union, yeah. they also bear uh, responsibility mm -hmm. in order to uh, facilitate uh, through the exercise of you know, diplomatic first and foremost, yeah. that is mm. their, you know, uh, DNA, you know, diplomacy, mm -hmm. uh, built on really very fine technical competence, mm. uh, very dispassionate and impartial engagement with actors. Yeah. Uh, those are the kinds of requirements. Definitely. So in terms of really going about, you know, addressing the, the, the threat of conflicts on the continent, strategically speaking, you need to mm -hmm. have a very sustained mm -hmm. and robust strategy yeah. uh, for resolving existing conflicts. conflicts. So what are we doing with these existing conflicts? Mm. Do we have the kind of strategy and intervention? And are we intervening at the scale and speed that is required mm -hmm. in order to contain the situation and create the conditions for its resolution? Yeah. This is a very critical question. Yeah. The second one is to ensure that no new conflicts erupt yeah. and therefore investing in prevention. Prevention measures. So those are the kinds of things that actually we try to work on and advocate and indeed mm. through our research work try to bring uh, proposals yeah. uh, on how these interventions can be mobilized. Yeah. And our dear listener, you may not know uh, Dr. Solomon has a flight to catch but is passionate about climate change, governance, and, and insecurity in Africa. So before he leaves, he'll have to tell us the discussion on climate financing. Africa, we emit the least, but affected the worst. There has been calls, including by our president, William Ruto, to have fair financial structures. But a day after he delivered his speech, the next day, most of the countries giving Africa loans voted against fair international financial structures. How much funding do we need and who should pay for it to mitigate climate change effects in Africa? Well, qu quite, uh, you know, some countries actually, mm. uh, you know, uh, according to uh, work done by UNEC and the African Union, mm -hmm. some countries pay as much uh, uh, double digit of yeah. their GDP 
wow. in response to climate crisis. Yeah. All right. That yeah. is the substantial amount, amount of money that is going for uh, responding to climate crisis. Yeah. Um, and from countries that do not have really the resources for uh, investing in that kind of response. Yeah. Uh, these are countries that need every penny yeah. channeled into addressing the uh, social and economic well-being mm. of the masses of the people who really uh, still struggle yeah. to live a dignified life mm -hmm. because of the socio-economic deprivation that is pervasive on our continent, right? Mm. So, you know, the scale of it is really very, very significant. Mm. That is why the question of if you are not responsible mm -hmm. for events and if there are actors who are responsible for those events mm -hmm. or who have contributed who, significantly. Who, who born exactly mm. who, who bear the more the substantial burden mm. in terms of you know emissions mm. green gas house emissions mm. yeah then obviously there is you know that responsibility that comes and that has been established through uh, the climate policy making processes and negotiations yeah. that they have to actually that's why the loss and damage yes fund that was decided in cop 27 yeah. in sharm el sheikh yeah uh it is you know a, a decision on the right direction mm. that is meant to exactly compensate uh those countries who are affected the most mm. while contributing the least yeah. for climate change all right where we have a problem in terms mm -hmm. of really the question of the sourcing is mm. you know pledges are made yeah. by countries mm -hmm. for example the 100 billion yes uh, us dollars pledge mm. uh, for financing adaptation um that has that yeah. hasn't been fulfilled mm -hmm. we have created a new fund uh, on loss and damage yeah. now one of the question for cop 28 is what where the source of Mm. this funding for loss and damage, damage fund. is going mm. to come. Yeah. Um, of course, the loss and damage fund is directly related with the responsibility that we made reference to earlier on. There is a lot of conversation and talk about, um, you know, private uh, actors or, you know, uh, the private sector contributing mm. uh, towards that. Uh, but the experience so far uh, doesn't really... Uh, provide enough evidence to suggest that uh, there is uh, going to be the the kind of funding at scale and speed uh, that is going to come from the private uh, sector. sector. So we are actually facing an existential crisis, mm. not just as countries most affected by climate crisis, despite their limited or, n you know, no contribution to climate change mm -hmm. um, as a human family we are on an existential uh, trajectory uh, that, uh, at this point in time mm -hmm. and part of the challenge today is really to uh, be able to mobilize that sense of responsibility and urgency mm -hmm. and for governments and of course business uh, to really uh, come to the table uh, to step up to uh, and rise to this occasion mm. and uh, assume full responsibility yeah. uh, based on the their shared uh, contribution uh, and and burden vis-a-vis uh, mm. -vis 
the climate change crisis. Yeah. Um, I think there is every reason uh, that you know this is what needs to happen. The other source that uh, is being talked about is basically some of the uh, tax arrangements that can be yeah. uh, put in place, such as, for example, uh, taxes on uh, for the use of uh, fossil fuel, Part- yes. particularly fossil fuel companies. I think mm. uh, there is a lot of you know that debate uh, around th- that debate around mm. that. For Africa, obviously, uh, a balance has to be uh, stricken between uh, uh, climate change action and mm. the possibility of ensuring that the development uh, needs of the continent is not compromised mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. You see, that that is it with uh, Dr. Solomon Dresso from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, the founding director of um, Amani Africa. And so we'll have to close it there. He has a flight to catch in the next hour or so, and we really, really appreciate his time. Uh, you'll get this podcast at Nation.Africa uh, podcast series, and feel free every time to drop in your comments and enjoy the wonderful podcast that we prepare for you. Thank you so much, Dr. Adresso. Thank you very much, Steve. And thank you so much. Here with you. Thank you so much. I hope you get to that flight without further delays. Definitely, sure. And, yeah. and also our viewers, stay tuned in. Uh, This was your host, Steve Otieno, at Nation Podcast Series. Thank you.